When I was in high school, for a couple of years, I had the opportunity to work at Chick-fil-A. I don't know if anybody in here ever got to work at Chick-fil-A, but I enjoyed it. I would say it was truly my pleasure to work there. <laughs> Liked it a great deal. However, I did, for a period of time, have one manager who was a bit sarcastic in his approach to we employees. And uh, one day, one of my fellow employees came up during a slow time of the day and asked this manager what he ought to be doing. Now, this manager was really big on us taking initiative and not asking him what we ought to do, and he didn't like hearing that question. So he sarcastically responded, why don't you walk down the hall to the walk-in freezer and stand there for a while and let me know if it's cold enough? And then he left it at that, uh, and everybody, I think, assumed that it was obvious that it was a joke, not meant to be taken literally. However, about 10 minutes later, we suddenly noticed our fellow employee was missing and sure enough walked down the hall and he was standing in the large walk-in freezer minutes from being a human popsicle. I often think of that moment uh, when I see this verse from Proverbs 18, death and life are in the power of the tongue. And I think, you know what, that is not simply metaphorical. That could have been literal could have cost this poor employee his health or even his life because of a careless word on the part of a sarcastic manager. All of us know that words are immensely powerful. The things that you and I say deeply impact other people, whether that is our spouse or our kids or our roommates or our classmates or our co-workers. The things you and I say have the potential to either lift somebody out of a deep pit of despair or to push them further into it. The words we say have the opportunity to either draw people closer to Jesus or push them farther away. Words are immensely and deeply powerful. The writers of Proverbs understood that. Solomon and the other men who wrote the book of Proverbs understood that words are really, they're the primary way that we communicate with the world around us. And so uh, if we do not get a handle on our words, we won't run the risk of walking through life, creating destruction and pain. On the other hand, if we can speak words of life that reflect the character of God, we can bring encouragement and joy and peace that reflects the character of God. Out of About 915 verses in the book of Proverbs, 150 of those verses deal with the subject of speech. That's one-sixth of this book that has a variety of topics, a wide diversity of topics, and yet it's such an important topic that one-sixth of the book is devoted to the subject of speech. Speech is powerful, it's important, and it's really difficult to control, isn't it? It is very hard for us to get a handle on what we say and to say the right thing. So when you go to James 3, uh, James compares the tongue to a wild fire and says, if any man can control his tongue, he's a perfect man. There's only one man in history who perfectly controlled his tongue, and that is Jesus. We're going to talk this morning about some characteristics of godly speech, and my guess is that as we talk about those characteristics, at least one of these characteristics will hit you right between the eyes. I know that that's been the case for me as I've studied this topic. If none of these characteristics strike you, if you leave here this morning and you think, you know what, I'm good on this speech thing, 
then either you are perfect or you are a liar, in which case one of these will hit you right between the eyes. As we talked about wisdom several weeks ago from the book of Proverbs, by the way, one of the things we saw is this contrast between the foolish person and the wise person. And the foolish person, of course, is the one who believes that he's already wise. When it comes to the subject of speech, none of us have a complete handle on the things that we say. And what makes this subject often so convicting is that not only are our words powerful, but they reflect what's in our hearts. Jesus puts it this way in Matthew chapter 12, for out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The good person out of his good treasure brings forth good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. Proverbs says it this way, the lips of the wise spread knowledge, not so the heart of fools. In other words, the things that you say spring from your heart. So a lot of times we're tempted just to say, you know, I have a problem occasionally saying angry words. And what Jesus would say is, no, you have a problem with being an angry person. You say angry words because your heart is angry. You speak gossip because your heart is judgmental and doesn't love like God has called us to love. See that? So when it comes to the subject of the tongue, the real hard challenge for us is that it's not just about what we say, but that it's about what is within our hearts. And that means that getting a handle on our speech is more than behavioral adjustment. It requires a supernatural movement of the Spirit of God, which is why we constantly have to remain in dependence upon the Spirit of God as we approach this subject. Because I could provide 10 great steps to speaking well, and we could do all of them, and for a while we would do okay, perhaps, but ultimately without a change of heart that comes through the power of the Spirit. We will fail. And so this morning what we're going to do is we're going to talk about the subject of what do godly words look like. Now next week, Blake is going to be uh, back with you guys, and he's going to talk about the other side of the equation, which is what is some speech to avoid? What are some things you don't want to say or do with your tongue? But where we're going to start is what are the types of speech that reflect the character of God, and how can we cultivate that type of speech? And again, as we move forward, I'm guessing that at least one of these will hit you deeply, if not more. All right, so we're going to look at some of these characteristics of speech that reflects the character of God and how we can reflect God's character to the world with the things that we say so we can be the representatives of him that he's called us to be. So the first thing we're going to see is this. Godly words are first and foremost honest. First and foremost, they are honest. Proverbs 24, 26, a very vivid proverb. Whoever gives an honest answer kisses the lips. Now, it's important to know that in the ancient world, Uh, kisses on the lips between close friends, even of the same sex, uh, were not considered inappropriate. It was a way of greeting those family members or close friends that you really trusted. It was a sign of affection, a sign of trust, a sign of kinship, and in fact, in some cultures today, people still will kiss in greeting. And what Proverbs tells us is that honesty is like a kiss on the lips and that it promotes friendship and trust. You cannot have relationships of trust and friendship and closeness if you lie to people. 
if you hide, if you manipulate? Why do we lie? Why do we hide? Why do we manipulate? Why are we passive-aggressive instead of speaking the truth? The reason often is because we do not trust others to respond as we want them to respond to the truth about our own life or the truth about theirs. And so when we are pressed for an honest answer, often we lie or we obscure or we avoid. But an honest answer kisses the lips. It's very difficult to be a person consistently filled with integrity and honesty. Now, we're going to talk about tempering that with kindness and grace in a moment. But first and foremost, we start with truthfulness because God is a truthful God. Every word he says is true. If God lies, then we cannot trust any of his promises. And so to promote the reflection of his character and trust between us as men and women who are called to represent him, we're called to be honest. A number of years ago, my wife and I read a book by Bill Hybels. It's called Honest to God. And he has a whole chapter in that book about truth-telling. And he likens truth-telling often to entering what he calls the tunnel of chaos. And what he means is this, is that sometimes in a, a friendship or a relationship or a marriage, you may have all of these things unsaid between two parties. And you think, you know what, as long as I don't say the difficult thing, as long as I hide or manipulate or lie, then I can keep this sort of status quo, which may be painful and uncomfortable and difficult, but at least nobody is yelling at me. And he says, often you have to enter into this difficult tunnel, a dark tunnel, he calls it the tunnel of chaos, in order to ultimately bring health and closeness in a relationship. And that's hard to do, right? Because college students, you know, if you tell your roommate, you know what, you need to take your share of the dishes more often. They may hit you on the head with a frying pan. Husbands, wives, you know that if you give direct, honest feedback to your spouse or if you share things that are in your own heart and life, it may create tension and discomfort and even conflict for a while. But an honest answer kisses the lips and that it ultimately draws us closer to one another and allows us to reflect the character of an honest God. Now, secondly, along with that honesty, of course, godly words are kind and encouraging. Godly words are not merely honest. They are also kind, encouraging, and gracious. Proverbs 16, 24, uh, one of my favorites for this morning. Gracious words are like a honeycomb, sweetness to the soul and health to the body. Now, of course, in the ancient world, honey would have been one of the sweetest treats they could have gotten their hands on. Still is. Maybe you had breakfast this morning and you had a nice big biscuit with honey drizzled on it and you ate that biscuit and you just felt that honey sort of smoothly make its way down into your stomach and it refreshed your soul to the deepest places. Right? Uh, when I was a kid, we used to love peanut butter and honey sandwiches. Uh, some of you perhaps have eaten that. I had one yesterday. That's what we call sermon preparation. I had a peanut butter and honey sandwich, and so did my kids. And you just you feel that sweetness and that lightness of the honey, and it refreshes you. That is what gracious and kind speech is like, Proverbs tells us. It brings refreshment. Grace is the bestowing of favor, often on those who don't deserve it, right? That's what God does for us. With his words, with his actions, in sending his son, he bestows upon us kindness and favor, even when we don't deserve it, even when difficult things must be said. Gracious words are like a honeycomb, sweetness to the soul, and health 
to the body. There are some, perhaps, in here that you're pretty good at being honest, but you're not great at being gracious. So you're unkind when you speak the truth. And yet, in the Proverbs and throughout Scripture, we see this combination of both grace and truth. The words that reflect God's character, like Jesus himself, are filled with grace and truth. You probably can think of individuals in your life that reflect this, that you think, when I am around that person, their speech is full of grace, full of encouragement, full of kindness. How would it affect your marriage, your relationship with your kids, your relationship with your coworkers, if for every criticism you had three, four, five words of encouragement, and not just at the moment of criticism so you can deflect that pain, but in the weeks, months, and years that precede the need to exhort. Another proverb, anxiety in a man's heart weighs him down, but a good word makes him glad. I would guess that many of us, if not all of us, can remember particular times in our life when we were sad, when we were grieving, when we were angry, when we were hurt, and a timely word of encouragement lifted us from that pit. I ran across a study about marriages uh, some time ago, a long-term study, and the question they started with was, uh, what is it that causes some marriages to last long-term while others fail relatively quickly? What is it about the way that spouses treat one another that for some, their marriages go on and on, and others, uh, they end early. And what they found, not in every case, but consistently, was that the way that couples speak to each other has a huge impact and, in fact, is the most defining characteristic of a marriage that either lasts or fails. I'm going to read from an article about this study. It says, contempt is the number one factor that tears couples apart. People who are focused on criticizing their partners miss a whopping 50% of positive things their partners are doing, and they see negativity when it's not there. Being mean is the death knell of relationships. Kindness, on the other hand, glues couples together. Research independent from theirs has shown that kindness, along with emotional stability, is the most important predictor of satisfaction and stability in a marriage. There's a great deal of evidence showing the more someone receives or witnesses kindness, the more they will be kind themselves, which leads to upward spirals of love and generosity in a relationship. I love that. Upward spirals of love and generosity in a relationship. Mark Twain is famous for having said, I can live for two months on a good compliment. A number of years ago, uh, my wife encouraged me to keep a little file in my desk of encouraging notes and cards and emails that I had received, not to puff up my head, but so that in those moments when I doubt what God is doing, when I doubt, like we all do, whether I am loved, when I doubt whether anybody cares, I can pull out that file. And just a week or two ago, I pulled it out and I read a nice note from my wife with things that she appreciates about me, none of which I'm sharing with you this morning, none of your business, right? But it was encouraging and it lifted my spirits. How often do we take the time, rather than criticize, to say words that are full of grace, full of kindness, full of encouragement, that reflect the grace and kindness and love of God himself? So godly words are honest, they are kind and encouraging. Thirdly, they are peaceful, peaceful. 
They seek and bring reconciliation, particularly when there is conflict. Proverbs 15, 1, a gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. The wrong words at the wrong time can stir up anger, but a word of peace at the right moment can diffuse a conflict. Another one, very vivid, with patience, a ruler may be persuaded and a soft tongue will break a bone. Bone is the most rigid part of the human body, as far as I know. And the image is of a ruler who is immovable, unshakable, cannot be persuaded, but a soft word can change even the hardest heart, can bring reconciliation where there is conflict. One of my favorite stories from the life of King David in the Old Testament comes from 1 Samuel chapter 25. When David is in the wilderness running away from King Saul prior to David's ascension to the throne, and Saul is trying to kill him, and as David runs through the wilderness, he encounters a man named Nabal. Nabal's name means fool. Now, you may go, who would name their child that, right? Who names their kid fool? Well, often in that day and age, they waited until a kid was two or three years old to give him a name, just to kind of get a sense of what they were like. So apparently in a very exasperated moment, mom or dad said, yeah, Nabal, that's your name, right? And it stuck. Well, as David goes through the wilderness, he encounters Nabal and he's running away from Saul. He sends a messenger to Nabal and he says, could you please provide me and my men with some food and with shelter and with help while we're running away? And Nabal sends this arrogant, angry message back. Who's David? Why should I help him? Why should I give my food, my shelter, and risk my own head for some guy I've never heard of? And David gets the message back, and he turns to his men, and he goes, boys, strap on your swords. We're going to go kill Nabal. And as they march toward Nabal's tent, his wife, Abigail, hears about what's going on. Abigail's name means, my father rejoices. And she hears about it, and she grabs some food, and she sends it ahead, and she runs, and she falls at David's feet, And she speaks these words of peace. The first thing she says is, his name is Nabal, and as the name, so is the man. His name is Folly, and Folly follows after him. And then she says, but God has given you favor, and he will protect your life, David, and you will ascend to the throne of Israel. And when you do, you do not want to have it on your conscience that you shed unnecessary blood. And David puts the sword away. Now, Nabal still had a heart attack when he found out what his wife had done and died. However, (laughs) she spoke words of reconciliation and peace and brought reconciliation into a situation where there was the potential for war. Uh, Several weeks ago, when we had Celestin Musakura here, I had the opportunity to talk with him about his ministry in Africa. And one of the things he said, and we're seeing this even now in our own culture, is that in the midst of racial conflict, in the midst of governmental conflict, in the midst even of religious conflict, often words of anger can further inflame a situation and drive it out of control. But words of forgiveness and peace can bring reconciliation. And he said one of his primary jobs in his work in Africa, is to encourage church leaders and others who know Jesus Christ to speak words of peace. Let me ask this question. Are your words, both in person as well as on Facebook, Twitter, texting, email, are they words of reconciliation and peace, 
Or are you the type of person that constantly stirs up conflict and angst? Because God is a reconciling God who even toward his enemies demonstrated grace and love and sent his own son Jesus to reconcile sinful people to himself. And in the spirit of a reconciling God, our words and our hearts are called to be full of reconciliation and peace. So godly words are honest, kind, and encouraging. They are peaceful. Fourthly, they are pure. They are pure. Proverbs 15 verse 26 says this, the thoughts of the wicked are an abomination to the Lord, but gracious words are pure. I'll never forget when I was maybe eight or ten years old, I had a friend come up to me and he said, would you like to hear a dirty joke? Now, I was pretty young and I didn't really know what that meant. And uh, he was pretty young and he said to me, here's my dirty joke, a white horse tripped and fell in the brown mud. And he just started laughing and laughing. And none of us really knew what a dirty joke meant. Now, obviously, in the intervening years, I know that that's not usually what people mean when they say a dirty joke or impure speech. Uh, We live in a culture that is filled with impure speech that springs from impure hearts, meditating often on things that are opposed to the values of God. Now, often when we do think about impure speech, we think about avoiding certain words, or we think about not talking about certain subjects, whether it's sexually inappropriate subjects or whatever it may be. But actually, pure speech is even broader than that. Pure speech is speech that is untainted with sin. Pure speech is speech that is not tainted with sin, whether it's greed, pride, anger, lust, whatever it may be. The purity that we seek in our speech is speech that reflects the character of God and is not tainted with any kind of sin. Uh, Soren Kierkegaard, the 19th century Danish philosopher, said to be pure in heart is to desire one thing. And to Kierkegaard, that one thing is God himself. Pure speech is speech that reflects a heart of purity that says, in whatever I say, I want to reflect the character of God, which means free of sin. Right? 1 Corinthians 10, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, whether you speak even, Let your speech reflect the purity of God. Imagine for just a moment that you have a faucet in your home that 70% of the time it gives you crystal clear, drinkable water. You can wash your hands. You can wash your face. You can use this water. But 30% of the time it gives you raw sewage. What would happen over time? My guess is you would stop using that faucet, right? Or try to get it fixed. You would stay away from it until the problem was gone. That is an image of the person whose speech is full of impurity and sin. You can't trust that person to say what reflects the character of God. And so what do you do? You back away. On the other hand, if you have a faucet that consistently gives you crystal clear, drinkable, good-tasting water, you want to be near it because you know it is healthy. And the one who speaks words of purity and excellence and character, that reflects the heart of God himself. And because all of us are made in his image and desire to be close to him, we draw close to people whose speech is excellent, don't we? Because we want to know our Savior. We want to know our God. 
is your speech pure or tainted with sin? So honest, kind, encouraging, peaceful, pure, and then fifthly, timely. Godly words are timely. One of, actually, another one of my favorite ones from the, the morning, Proverbs 27, 14. He who blesses his friend with a loud voice early in the morning, it will be reckoned a curse to him, right? All the parents in here say, amen. It's often what toddlers do, right? They bless you first thing in the morning, sometimes even before the morning has arrived, in a loud voice. Now, why are you irritated by that? It's a blessing after all. I love you, daddy. From the dark room at 4 a.m., right? It's a blessing. Why do you view it as a curse? Because the timing is poor. Because at that moment you want to sleep. He who blesses his friend with a loud voice early in the morning, it will be reckoned a curse to him. Timeliness in our speech matters. Another proverb, Proverbs twenty five eleven: like apples of gold and settings of silver is a word spoken in right circumstances. Saying the right things at the right times is probably the hardest discipline when it comes to speech. We often say things that are great in the wrong moments. And we often fail to say what we ought to say in the right moments. And so there's a beauty, like apples of gold and settings of silver, as a word spoken in right circumstances. Most of us, when we were kids, learned to some degree to read the moods of our parents, to know that if dad just came in and announced that the car's radiator was broken, that wasn't the best time to talk about your birthday present, was it? Because you're getting a radiator for your birthday, if you mention it. (laughs) That's timeliness. You know that there's a moment to speak and a moment not to speak. There's a moment to rebuke and a moment to encourage. There's a moment to say what you need to say. And quite often, we feel we always have to be saying something. Or, on the other side, we never say what ought to be said. Rather than asking for wisdom and power from God's Spirit to say the right thing at the right time. This is why James tells us that taming the tongue is so difficult. Because if anybody can learn how to say the right thing at the right time, they would perfectly reflect Jesus Christ. It is no accident, by the way, that the Apostle John calls Jesus the Word. The spoken Word the living word of God because he is God's perfect communication to you and me about who he is, not only in what Jesus said, but in all that Jesus did. He is God's word. Jesus always said the right thing at the right moment. His speech was always full of these characteristics and his actions were consistent with his speech and his heart drove forward that type of godly speech and godly actions. See, in the final analysis, the way that we learn to speak well, the way that we learn to use our words in a way that honors God is by drawing close to the word himself, to Jesus. To read his scripture and understand who he is and what he wants from us and then to ask his spirit for those that know him to give us the ability to reflect God with our speech. 
so that our words reflect all of those characteristics. So the question as we close then this morning, how can we use our words to reflect the loving and holy character of God? Let me say this. You may be here this morning and you do not yet have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And the great news is that at at any moment, God offers you, at every moment, God offers you that opportunity to know that he, he spoke to us through his son Jesus, that he loves us, that he cares for us, that he wants to know us. And Jesus, his only son, died to take away all of our sins, including the sins of our mouths, and he rose again. He defeated death and sin. Also, God could say, I want to know you, and I love you. And if you believe in him, you can have eternal life and a relationship with him. And that is God's word to you this morning. If you already know him, then for those who do, we are called day by day, moment by moment, to seek his wisdom and seek his power to say the things that he wants us to say at the times he wants us to say them. So that as we move out from here into our workplaces, into our families, into our dorms or apartments or wherever it is that we are, the men and women around us hear from our lips an ongoing testimony to the character and love of the one who made us and gave his son to save us. So we seek to use our words to reflect his honesty and purity and peacefulness and kindness and truth. Would you pray with me? Father, we're grateful this morning for your word. Even when it is challenging, there is something about the Proverbs and about your scripture when it talks to us about our speech that is refreshing, that reminds us of who you are and what you are saying to us. And I pray that the things we say then to others would reflect that. Teach us to proclaim who you are and what you've done in everything we do, whether we eat, whether we drink, whether we speak, whatever we're talking about. Father, we are so grateful to you for this time, and we pray empower us through your Spirit to do your will this week. We pray all of this in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. God bless you. Have a wonderful week.